In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Please be seated. Both Irenaeus and Hippolytus of Rome, two significant early Christian theologians, predicted that Jesus would return in the year 500. Their prediction was based in part on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. In the eighth century, Gregory of Tours, a French bishop, calculated that the world would end sometime between the years 799 and 806. Even with a seven-year window cushion, he was wrong. As the first millennium drew to near, the number of end-time predictions increased. One common belief was that Good Friday, coinciding with the Feast of the Annunciation, which is March 25th, which happened in 992, would usher in the end times. It did not. As the new millennium dawned, there were riots in Europe, and many Christians gave their possessions to the church in anticipation of the end of the world. The world did not end, and the church did not return the gifts. Pope Innocent III predicted that the world would end 666 years after the rise of Islam, which was calculated as 1284 and which came and went without incident. Mathematician Michael Stifel calculated that Judgment Day would begin on October 19, 1533 at 8 o'clock a.m. You gotta love a scientist that goes out on such a precise limb. William Miller predicted that Jesus Christ would return in 1844. This failed prophecy is known as the Great Disappointment, and it led to the establishment of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There were many, many predictions of the world's end during the 20th century, with many of these folks revising their dates several times after their initial date came and went without incident. And in modern times, we have Hal Lindsey's best-selling book, The Late Great Planet Earth. While Lindsey did not claim to know the dates of future events with certainty, he intimated that it would be in the 1980s, saying the decade of the 1980s could very well be the last decade of history as we know it. And this is just a modest sampling of all the predictions around apocalyptic events. What all of these predictions have in common is that every last one of them was wrong. And I'd like to think that if Jesus had actually planned to return on one of those dates, he would have changed his mind after the prediction just to spite us. Because while they are in their own way a cry of, come Lord Jesus, these predictions serve only as a distraction and an escape from all the work of the faithful in this broken world. What is clear about apocalyptic language in the Gospels and here in Revelation is that it is not to be an excuse for building survival shelters and giving up on God's world. No, our waiting for Jesus' return is to be an active waiting where we partner with him to live into his vision in this place and in this time. Today's text carries explicit instructions for those who are waiting. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city. It's an odd directive, but it does draw us away from gazing at the sky and orients us to the everyday work of the faithful. 
Doing laundry is not glamorous or exciting or climactic. It can be mundane and tedious labor. Yet it's necessary to the living of our days here and now. This is the tension for we Christians. We live in the in-between time. We live between the salvation of the world inaugurated in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the final consummation of all things when the salvation will be fully realized. And after waiting as long as we have, we too, like many of those who came before us, can become restless and impatient. We can try to force God's hand or give up on all of it. And so here at the end of Revelation, we are reminded once more to keep on keeping on, to get up each day and do what is ours to do and be who we're called to be, to see all of our encounters and efforts and relationships as part of the redeeming work that Christ is working among us even as we await the final consummation of all things. The story is told of Abyssinian Baptist Church, which gathers for worship on 125th Street in Harlem. The church, having unsuccessfully petitioned area banks to open a branch nearby, started its own neighborhood bank. They've created a redevelopment agency, sponsored addiction clinics, taken their Bible study groups into the neighborhood housing projects. They've developed programs for children and families to try to address the serious physical and spiritual problems facing the larger community. In an interview, a New York Times reporter engaged the church's pastor at the time, Calvin Butts, noting all the good programs and ministries that Abyssinian had undertaken. But he had a question. Looking around the neighborhood, he said, it's hard to see that your programs have had any significant impact. What enables you and your congregation to keep going? Butts replied, here's what. We've read the Bible and we know how it ends. We aren't at the end yet, but we know how it ends and that makes all the difference. Today is the seventh Sunday of Easter. On Thursday, we commemorated the ascension of our Lord, and next Sunday, we will celebrate Pentecost. Today is a liturgical embodiment of this already but not yet tension in which we find ourselves. In the ascension, God has raised Jesus to his throne at God's right hand. Jesus' humanity, and thus our humanity, has been taken into the Godhead it has been redeemed and washed clean. Our collect for today begins, O God, the King of glory, you have exalted your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph in heaven. In that sense of completed accomplishment, the church rejoices. Yet at the same time, there is an undercurrent of longing and expectation that runs just below the surface. For although Christ is enthroned in heaven, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit has not yet come. So just as the book of Revelation ends with the urgent prayer, come Lord Jesus, 
So the church prays urgently on this day for the gift of Christ's presence through the Spirit. Our collect continues, do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior Christ has gone before. Even liturgically, we live in the in-between times. The final words of Revelation, which are the final words of the entire Bible, are invitation and blessing. We have this image of Christ calling us to himself, and it is an inclusive invitation. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. And we then have what appears to be an answering invitational cry from the faithful, come Lord Jesus. And we conclude with a blessing, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints, amen. Abyssinian Baptist Church is living into these complimentary invitations. They live faithfully where they've been planted, actively working towards God's vision for his world, while still looking for Jesus' promised consummation. We too are called to live actively and faithfully in this in-between time, partnering with God in the redemption of his world while still yearning for the healing and completion of all things. Finally, let us put our faithful lives during this in-between time with its active waiting in proper context. Christ is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We are here through the gracious love of God who not of necessity, but out of an overflowing of love, chose to create. We continue to be through his sustaining care, and we will one day find our eternal rest and completion in him. Nothing, no wound, no sorrow, no joy, lies outside of God's enduring and embracing presence. In the beginning, God, and at the end, God. Amen.